Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean Sports Stop, where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, as a legendary UFC ring announcer, Bruce Buffer just put it to you guys. Honestly, listening to that never gets old. This is the one and only Sean Sports Stop podcast, episode number 379. We are rapidly approaching 400 episodes. That's truly shocking to me. I'm slowly getting back into the rhythm, getting back into the pace of things, kind of keeping my promise on this being a daily sports podcast. Speaking of the UFC, it's looking like I will be going to UFC 270 this Saturday night, and I could not be more excited. It's my first UFC event, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gunn for the UFC Heavyweight Championship in the main event. It does not get any better than that. And then the undercard is also very, very stacked if you're into UFC or MMA at all. And even if you're not, it's still going to be electric. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. And with that, with that said, let's get right into it. We have no time to waste. There is so much to talk about on this episode. We're starting off with some football and there will be lots of football to talk about. Odell Beckham Jr. continued his resurgence in Monday's 34-11 blowout win over the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC wildcard round at SoFi Stadium, and his performance did more than help the Los Angeles Rams reach the divisional round. With the win, OBJ received half a million dollars in an incentive bonus per Adam Schefter of ESPN just for winning the game. He also got a interestingly coincidental performance-enhancing drug test after his breakout performance. The 29-year-old finished with four catches for 54 yards and a touchdown and also completed a pass for 40 yards. He is the first player in NFL postseason history to have a 30-yard reception and at least a 30-yard completion in the same game. Per ESPN Stats and Info, a very specific stat there. OBJ, if you're not aware, signed a one-year deal with the Rams in November after being released by the Cleveland Browns. The deal is worth up to $4.25 million and, and includes up to $3 million in incentives. The three-time Pro Bowler was placed on waivers by the Browns after his father, Odell Beckham Sr., posted a video on Instagram highlighting times when Baker Mayfield, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, either did not throw the ball to his son when he was wide open or missed him completely. Beckham reportedly never reached out to Mayfield to apologize for the post, which only accelerated his departure from Cleveland. Though he never found much success at all, really, in Northern Ohio, he certainly has found his footing in Los Angeles. Beckham recorded 27 catches for 305 yards and five touchdowns in eight regular season games with the Rams. He wasn't initially expected to have a huge impact in Sean McVay's lineup, but Robert Woods' torn ACL opened the door for the veteran, and he is taking full advantage of the opportunity, and it's awesome to see as a Rams fan. Uh, I've loved watching OBJ for many years now, ever since his insane one-handed catch in his rookie year with the New York Giants, and it's awesome to see. I mean, I'm a diehard Rams fan, so seeing these two, OBJ and the Rams, you know, kind of coincide their success simultaneously while they make a Super Bowl run. It's great to see. And <laughs> this next story is not great to see. Cleveland Browns defensive tackle Malik McDowell was arrested in Deerfield Beach, Florida. Of course, it's somewhere in an unknown area of Florida Monday on charges of public exposure, resisting arrest with violence and battery on a law enforcement officer, according to the Sun Sentinel. The Browns released a very generic statement saying that they're aware of the very concerning incident and arrest involving their player. 
Um, the Broward County Sheriff's Office said they received a report of a naked man walking near a school, which was later confirmed to be a learning center. Authorities said surveillance footage shows McDowell walking onto the property while naked. A deputy who reported to the scene said McDowell's, quote, charged at me at full speed with closed fist. The officer described the phys physical altercation as a violent attack. McDowell briefly fled, but was taken into custody after an officer used a taser to subdue him and place him in the handcuffs. An attorney for the 25-year-old addressed the allegations and said another person, quote, may have slipped him something or given him something he was unaware of, which explains some of his bizarre behavior. In November 2019, McDowell received an 11-month jail sentence following multiple legal infractions in Michigan. He, also placed, he was also placed on probation for three years, which overlaps with his arrest Monday. A second-round pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Michigan native did not make uh, his season debut until this season. He appeared in 15 games for the Browns, finishing with 33 tackles and three sacks. Uh, Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal later reported McDowell is, quote, highly unlikely to be retained as an exclusive rights-free agent following his latest arrest. So prayers up for this man. I truly hope that everything is right in his head because it's looking like it's not. Um, there is a possibility that this is that this can be attributed to CTE and potential brain trauma that he has suffered throughout his life while playing football. Um, while it is sort of amusing and or funny on the surface, you know, the whole thing of him being naked and fighting a police officer, it's equally deeply concerning at the same time. And I, um, I truly hope he gets the help he needs and recovers from this, similarly to how Zay Jones was able to do so. Switching gears to some actual football. Back to the Cardinals and Rams. Arizona Cardinals defensive end J.J. Watt did not hold back following his team's season-ending loss to the Rams on Monday night, saying, quote, It was a massive failure from what we were capable of doing to what we showed we can do to today. He told reporters when describing the team's season, there is no other way to describe it. And, you know, I would find it hard to disagree with him. The Cardinals were, um, I wouldn't say widely regarded, but many people considered them to be the best team in the NFL at, you know, about halfway through the season. They were 7-0. and They were the last undefeated team in the NFL. Um, and then they lost to the Detroit Lions. And honestly, I kind of called it. I don't remember if I said it on record on the podcast, but I told a lot of my friends that after the Cardinals lost to the Lions, they would never be the same after that, especially with Cliff Kingsbury's known late season or reputation of late season collapses. But it just that that loss, I had a feeling after that loss of the Lions, I mean, losing to a team that was winless coming in when you're one of the best teams in the NFL, at least on paper, that's backbreaking. And it showed that the Cardinals just don't have that mental edge. I mean, they kind of fell apart. I mean, yeah, they did beat the Cowboys late in the season after that, but it was all losses other than, other than that, losing to the Rams, lost to someone else, I forgot, but... That loss really broke their spirit. I think it looks like it to me. Um, I was worried as a Rams fan that something similar would happen to the Rams after losing the final game of the season to the 49ers. And um, in the way they did, you know, being up 17-0 to at halftime and, and losing that game in overtime to a team, to a huge rival that we've had almost no success against. In fact, no success at all against in recent years. Uh, I was very worried that 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 would be a back-breaking or soul-crushing loss for the Rams. Obviously, it was not as they bounced back with a huge, dominant 34-11 win over the Cardinals. Uh, it appeared as if J.J. Watt's season came to an early end when he suffered a shoulder injury in an October 24th victory over none other than the Houston Texans. But he, wa he worked his way back and took the field for the playoff game 
obviously it was i wouldn't say a wasted effort but definitely a disappointing end uh for jj watt considering how much work he put in he finished with three total tackles and one tackle for a loss as the arizona defense struggled to contain matthew stafford and co uh stafford accounted for three touchdowns and was only sacked once again it was a very dominant performance from the rams and we have more football to talk about while pittsburgh well excuse me while Ben Roethlisberger has not officially retired. The Pittsburgh Steelers are headed into the offseason with an open mind at the quarterback position. Head coach Mike Tomlin told reporters Tuesday that, quote, all options are on the table. He added that Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins will both be afforded an opportunity to win the starting job. I think purely speaking from talent, uh, you know, assuming that both guys have their head on their shoulders and don't fuck around, I think Dwayne Haskins should beat out Mason Rudolph for the starting job. Quote, I'm excited about that challenge, Tomlin said. Those of us that are com- competitors are. It's a challenge. It makes you uneasy. An external candidate might be on the table as well. And it could even be the likeliest solution because neither Rudolph nor Haskins have proven themselves as starters in the NFL. Rudolph had an addition in 2019 when Roethlisberger was limited to only two games. He threw for 1,765 yards, 13 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions in 10 appearances. Not terrible, but not good enough either. The Washington football team released Haskins toward the end of his second season, a telling move considering that the franchise selected him in the first round of the 2019 draft. In 16 appearances, he threw for 2,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions, but a big part um, of his situation in Washington was how much of a diva he was off the field and how much of an asshole he was and pain in the ass to deal with. Uh, if it was if he was a great guy and, and struggling in Washington, I guarantee he wouldn't be released, but we have more football to talk about. Thank God he is okay. Arizona Cardinals safety Buda Baker provided a positive update after he suffered a scary injury during Monday night's NFC wildcard loss to the LA Rams. He tweeted, quote, thank you for all the players, prayers. I am doing good. He also posted a video from the hospital saying he's going to make a full recovery. So that is awesome to see. Uh, he was eventually released from the hospital Tuesday after being cleared by doctors per the team. After colliding with Rams running back Cam Akers during the third quarter, Baker had to be stretchered off the field. According to ESPN, Baker was diagnosed with a concussion and never lost feeling in or use of his extremity. So that is awesome to see. Uh, you watching it live, it looked worse than just a concussion, but I am so glad to see that that's all it was. Cam Akers said, quote, it was just a football play. It, has, it wasn't nothing personal. I've got the utmost respect for Buddha and that team. And Cam Akers is coming off a torn ACL. Uh, that he recovered from in five months or six months at most so he of all people uh being a Rams fan I can truly attest he of all people oh he was not trying to injure Buddha or play dirty it was just a football play and unfortunately Buddha suffered a concussion but thank god that's all it was we're switching gears to the NBA the Los Angeles Lakers have quote no current plans to replace head coach Frank Vogel according to the Los Angeles Times Earlier Tuesday, The Athletic reported Vogel's job is, quote, in serious jeopardy and that the Lakers are evaluating Vogel on a game-to-game basis, leaving him at risk of being fired if progress doesn't continue. And what a disastrous game it was today. Busted my four-leg parlay with my boy Yehuda. Uh, the Lakers were up by 15 at one point against the Indiana Pacers, who were 3-17 and on the road, have not beaten the Lakers on the road since 2015, are 13th in the Eastern Conference, but yet somehow... The Lakers blew the game only one day after arguably their best win of the season against the Utah Jazz. They somehow lose to the Pacers, Vogel's former squad. Um, Yeah, I mean, when a team is falling as short of their expectations as the Lakers are, the head coach is almost always the subject of rumors. They are currently eighth in the West at 22 and 23. 
Uh, I, however, wouldn't blame Vogel. I mean, Russell Westbrook hasn't really panned out as much as we'd hoped. Anthony Davis hasn't played since, you know, he suffered his suffered uh, MCL sprain in his left knee in December. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of I'm a Lakers fan. A lot of Lakers fans are saying fire Vogel, fire Vogel. But what's the alternative? Frank Vogel is a vastly, vastly superior coach to David Fisdale. I mean, if you fire Frank Vogel just to fire the guy and you and you promote David Fisdale to acting head coach, that is a recipe for disaster in my opinion. I truly hope that doesn't happen, but we have more NBA to talk about. Los Angeles Clippers star Paul George will miss at least a few more weeks while continuing to deal with an elbow injury. The Clippers are exceeding expectations without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Woj of ESPN reported the news. George also missed five games earlier this season with a right elbow sprain before the team announced Christmas Day that he suffered a torn ulnar collateral ligament and would be re-evaluated re in three to four weeks. The seven-time All-Star has played a large role in, their, in the Clippers' success since joining the franchise via trade in 2019. The Clippers had never made the Western Conference Finals before 2021, but Paul George was able to power the team there even without fellow superstar Kawhi Leonard, who suffered a partially torn ACL uh, in Game 4 of, of the Western Conference Semifinals against the Utah Jazz. He's still not back from that. This season has been much of the same for PG, who's averaged 25 points, 7 rebounds, and 5.5 and assists in 26 games. He leads the Clippers in points, assists, and steals at 2 a game and ranks second in rebounds behind only center Ibiza Zubats. Um... Without George, the Clippers will continue to rely on Terrence Mann and Amir Coffey, but getting Paul George back will be absolutely huge for the Clippers, and they are going to be a team, definitely a dark horse to win it all when Paul George and Kawhi come back. Uh, but we have more football, more football to talk about. It seems like assistant coaches under Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams are poached every single year. I mean, we've lost Matt LaFleur. He obviously became very successful as Packers head coach. He was our offensive coordinator. Brandon Staley was our defensive coordinator, now head coach of the Chargers. And the defensive coordinator that, that replaced him is now being eyed by the Minnesota Vikings. They reportedly, they reportedly requested an interview with Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris for their vacant head coaching position. Uh, the Rams finished 17th in total defense and 15th in scoring defense during the season. So not exactly exceptional numbers defensively. And a lot of Rams fans, a lot of Rams fans are not big fans of Raheem, Raheem Morris at all. I'm kind of impartial. I think our defense is solid. I'm not really on any on any extreme side when it comes to this debate. But I would not mind uh, letting Morris go to Minnesota and bringing in Vic Fangio. I would not mind it at all. Morris previously coached the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 2009 through 2011 and was the Atlanta Falcons interim head coach last season. He's 21 and 38 overall as a head coach. Um... But I think he will have he would have more success with the Vikings, Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. I think he would have more success. So we'll see how that plays out. As a Rams fan, again, I'm kind of impartial. If the Vikings were uh, requesting to interview Sean McVay, then I would have a huge issue with that. But that's obviously not the case. He is here to stay. And we have more basketball to talk about. The Ben Simmons. I mean, I don't think you can call it a Sean Sports Podcast episode without mentioning Ben Simmons. A 76ers legend believes it's it's in the team's best interest to trade Ben Simmons because of the way Philadelphia fans have reacted to the three-time All-Star holding out. And uh, the Kings offered a crazy trade. It was something like De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and a couple first-round picks in exchange for Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Tyrese Maxey. Uh, I mean, really, they really tried to finesse the Sixers, but 
Uh, the Pistons offered a huge trade as well. The Sixers are really looking for an absolute massive haul for Ben Simmons. Speaking to TMZ Sports, Charles Barkley himself said Simmons is, quote, never going to play another game in Philly because the fans would not forgive him. Barkley is very familiar with the dynamic of being a high-profile athlete in Philadelphia as he spent the first eight seasons of his NBA career playing for the Sixers from 1984 through 1992. During an August 2020 appearance on the Outside the Lane podcast, Barkley explained why Philadelphia can be a difficult place to play for some athletes. He said, quote, you have to have a strong mindset. The one thing I give them credit for, if you just work hard, they'll give you your respect. But if they see you out doing stuff you shouldn't be doing and you're playing bad, you're not going to last there, lose, last there long. Very similar in Boston and New York. Knicks and Celtics fans are very similar in that regard. Again, Simmons has been away from the Sixers all season as he continues to wait for a trade. And they continue to look for a trade, but they are not trading him. <laughs> so it's just a shit show. I've, ta- I've you know covered that extensively about how much of a shit show it is. But um, at this point, if I had to guess, if my life was on the line, I would say that Ben Simmons does get traded sometime before the trade deadline. Hopefully, I mean, I at this point, I just want the soap opera to end. But I have to say, as an outsider, uh, you know, on the outside looking in, it is fun to observe. Speaking of trades, this somehow completely flew under the radar. Multiple players are reportedly on the move Tuesday night with weeks remaining until the NBA trade deadline. Woj of ESPN reported that the Boston Celtics, Denver Nuggets, and San Antonio Spurs agree to a three-way trade. In the deal, the Celtics will receive center Bull Bull and guard PJ Dozier, while guard Bryn Forbes is headed to the Nuggets and forward Juancho Hernan Gomez will land with the Spurs. Very interesting trade for all sides involved. I think it's a win for the Celtics. I think it's a win for the nuggets and i don't know about the spurs but that's my take espn's tim bonteps noted that this is a cost-cutting move for the celtics to get them nearly out of the luxury tax um celtics have an open roster spot after cutting jabari parker earlier this month shams Cherani of the athletic and stadium reported earlier uh yesterday that bowl is set to undergo surgery on his foot that will keep him sidelined for 8 to 12 weeks the Nuggets previously attempted to trade Bull Bull to the Detroit Pistons last week, but the trade was nullified when the Pistons, quote, had an issue with Bull's physical. Talked about that uh, earlier. In three NBA seasons, as I said on the previous episode, Bull Bull has played only 53 games, but it was not because of injuries. Denver chose to bring him along slowly after he underwent foot surgery in his freshman season at Oregon. While opportunities to crack the lineup were scarce with the Nuggets, Bull still managed to average 16 points and two blocks per 36 minutes in his career. So I think this is a very, very nice acquisition for the Boston Celtics. Dozier is out for the year with a torn ACL and will be a free agent after this season. The Nuggets are getting back an absolute sharpshooter in Forbes, who averages 42% from three this year. He adds depth to Denver's backcourt as point guard Jamal Murray continues to work his way back from a torn ACL. And Hernan Gomez has played in 18 games for Boston and averages 1.1 points. 1.1 points. So that's why I'm saying this trade doesn't make much sense for the Spurs at all. I really don't understand what they're doing here. And we got a serious topic. A serious topic to topic. (laughs) A serious topic to talk about now. The University of Michigan reached a settlement Wednesday with 1,050 survivors of sexual abuse. (laughs) 1,050 by former school doctor Robert Anderson. According to the Associated Press, those with knowledge of the settlement said the survivors will split $490 million. I mean, wow. 
and it's fully well deserved no monetary amount in my opinion will ever make up for what they had to go through let's just divide that though real quick 490 million uh divided by how many was it 1050 live calculations here on the sean sports podcast they are each gonna split 466 thousand dollars well deserved i hope they do good with it uh anthony parker steiner who represented the survivors released the following statement after the university of michigan publicly confirmed the settlement saying quote i am proud to announce that a settlement was reached with the 1050 survivors of robert anderson and the university of michigan it has been a long and challenging journey and i believe this settlement will provide justice and healing for the many brave men and women who refuse to be silenced anderson who died in 2008 Side note, worked as a physician for the University of Michigan for 37 years from 1966 through 2003. Per the AP, Anderson served as as a physician for multiple athletic teams during his tenure at Michigan, including football. Former Michigan football players were among the survivors who filed the lawsuit. What a sick fuck that guy was. Matthew uh, Schembechler, the son of late Michigan football coach Bo Schembechler, said in June that Anderson molested him in 1969 during a physical examination of youth football when he was just 10 years old. What a sick fuck that guy was. Shem Bechler added that he told his father about the abuse only for the elder Shem Bechler to intervene and save Anderson's job. Wow, that's even worse. Uh, in May, law firm Wilmer Hale released a report in which it was determined determined that member in which it was determined that members of the Michigan Athletic Department and Health Service Department quote missed warning signs and failed to stop the serial sexual misconduct. Truly sickening, but I'm glad that some monetary relief, whatever that's worth, really not worth much, but at least they'll each take home around half a million dollars, well deserved, and I hope they are all able to recover. Truly hope. Switching gears back to football. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott is expressing remorse for his comments after Sunday's loss to the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC wildcard round. Prescott had expressed support for fans who threw debris at referees as they came off the field. He said, quote, I deeply regret the comments I made regarding the officials after the game on Sunday. I was caught up in the emotion of a disappointing loss and my words were uncalled for and unfair. I hold the NFL officials in the highest regard and have always respected their professionalism and the difficulty of their jobs. The safety of everyone who attends a game or participates on the field of a sporting event is a very serious matter. He added, this was a mistake on my behalf and I am sorry. Uh, This was a great, great uh, apology by Dak Prescott, in my opinion. What he said was, some people, you know, you could say funny or amusing or, or something, but it was uncalled for, in my opinion. Yes, you can disagree with the refs, but saying that it was right for, you know, fans to throw debris at referees that's that's disgusting but i'm i'm very glad to see that whether he means it or not i'm inclined to believe that he does i'm very glad to see that he apologized it shows a, a great it shows it i mean i've known that Dak prescott is a great person but it shows immense maturity on his part he came under fire for his remarks the nba's referees association condemned his comments on tuesday for promoting violence against officials saying quote as an nfl leader he should know better we encourage the nfl to take action to discourage this deplorable behavior in the future but him apologizing is a big deal and i'm glad that he did switching gears to more football i'm not really sure what rich Pisaccia has to do at this point but they the las vegas raiders will interview interim head coach rich Pisaccia um on wednesday or i guess they did interview him today about taking on the job on a permanent basis according to nfl network the raiders went seven and five under Bisaccia after he replaced john gruden and her day wild card berth in the playoffs 
Uh, I mean, as I said, they, as I said previously, he guided them through a very difficult time and they made the playoffs. I absolutely think that they should at least give him a one-year contract, you know, to just test the waters and see how it goes. But, you know, knowing them, they'll probably hire Jim Harbaugh. More on that later. First, we got some baseball to talk about, believe it or not. Free agent shortstop Carlos Correa was reportedly asking for between $330 million and $350 million on the open market prior to the MLB lockout. According to MLB Network, $330 million was the clear minimum, the clear minimum that Correa wanted in his contract after enjoying one of, the, one of his best seasons in 2021 and earning his second all-star selection with the Houston Astros, Correa was considered one of the top available players when free agency began, if not number one. The strong free agent class was, was especially stacked in, at middle infield as shortstops Corey Seager, Javier Baez, and Trevor Story and second baseman Marcus Simeon joined Correa. While Correa and Story remain unsigned, Seager signed a 10-year deal worth $325 million with the Texas Rangers. Simeon joined Seager in Texas on a 7-year deal worth $175 million, and Baez signed a massive $140 million contract worth over 6 years with the Detroit Tigers. I mean, the Tigers can potentially, uh, can potentially pair... <laughs> Excuse me. They can potentially pair Carlos Correa and... And Javier Baez, that would be, uh, that would be something. But now we got we got more NBA to talk about. Some more trade rumors. It was rumored that uh, De'Aaron Fox would uh, would get traded to Philly, but not looking like that now. The Sacramento Kings are reportedly not planning to deal De'Aaron Fox ahead of the February tenth trade deadline, according to Shams of the Athletic. Despite being active in trade conversations, the Kings, quote, want to center the team around Fox and second-year guard Tyrese Halliburton. Fox is averaging 21 points, 5 assists, and 1.2 steals a game in his fifth season in the NBA. He is under contract through 2025-26 after signing a big extension in 2020, five years, $163 million. The 24-year-old was at his best last season with averages of 25 points and over 7 assists per game, but he could not help the Kings avoid their 15th straight year without a playoff berth. Sacramento is is on the way to yet another losing season, entering Wednesday with an 18 and 28 record, and they're trying to shake things up ahead of the trade deadline. Um, Sam Amick of the Athletic reported Indiana Pacers big man Demontis Sabonis is a major focal point for the Kings ahead of the trade deadline, but a deal for Philadelphia 76ers star Ben Simmons is front and center. But again, as I talked about previously, that trade proposal between the Kings and Sixers, the Sixers obviously did not accept. We have more football to talk about. More football. While the possibility of Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh returning to the NFL this offseason has been a talking point at times, some believe he's just using the rumors as a leverage as leverage for a new contract, because why not? Vic Tafer of The Athletic reported, quote, one person close to the situation at Michigan who suggested the rumors may be hypothetical leverage in such discussions with the Wolverines. An NFL source said any connections between Harbaugh and the Las Vegas Raiders are total noise. Um, I mean, frankly, the timing makes total sense for Harbaugh to be using whatever he can to gain leverage for a new deal with Michigan. He just completed his seventh season at the helm of the program. That's honestly crazy. I cannot believe that he's been with the University of Michigan for seven years. And he won the Big Ten title for the first time. He also finally defeated their arch rival, Ohio State Buckeyes, for the first time as, as a head coach and made the college football playoff. It was by far his best season as a coach for his alma mater. And the Wolverines will surely want to keep him around if they can. The fact that Mel Tucker, 
just agreed to a massive 10-year contract with 95 million with the rival Michigan State Spartans in November. Could also be uh, a point of discussion for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. But speaking of college football, this is a very, very interesting topic. Stetson Bennett will stay with the University of Georgia. He is ready to run things back for the national champions. The Georgia Bulldogs quarterback who just helped his team to a victory over the Alabama Crimson Tide in the college football playoff national championship game announced today that he will be returning to the program for, quote, one more year. While there is something to be said about this potentially being the opportunity for Bennett to go out on top and try his hand at the NFL after winning a championship, he's also not really regarded as a top prospect at all. I mean, I personally don't think he has what it takes to play in the NFL. I just don't think he's good enough. Um, and that I'm not trying to disrespect the guy. I, I love Stetson Bennett. I loved watching him play. I loved watching him prove the haters wrong. Everyone that was calling for JT Daniels in that title game. But I just don't think he has it. I don't think he has what it takes to play at the next level. There's a clear, concise difference between the level of play in the NFL versus in college. Uh, the Bleacher Report NFL scouting department did not have him among its top 150 players or top seven quarterbacks in its big board from earlier this month. But then again, you never know. Look at Tom Brady. Was he in the top 150? Was he a top seven quarterback coming out of college? I am by no means saying that Tom, that Stetson Bennett is the next Tom Brady. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand me here. But I'm just saying that these projections, we have seen time and time and time again across multiple sports. They mean very little, if, if we're honest. I mean, look at all the busts in the NBA. Look at how many guys went on draft and became stars or late round picks, Tom Brady, second round picks in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, there's so many of those kind of guys. Um, Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter, Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett, and Ole Miss's Matt Coral were the top three quarterbacks on the list that Stetson Bennett did not make. Yet, he will have an opportunity to further prove himself at the collegiate level in 2022 during a season when Georgia will surely get every opponent's best shot as the defending champion. Regardless of whether he eventually makes the NFL or not, he will forever, forever be a Bulldogs legend. He went from former walk-on quarterback to making key throws on the sport's biggest stage against their most daunting opponent in Alabama. He threw for 224 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions against the Crimson Tide, with both touchdowns coming in a legendary fourth quarter as Georgia completed the comeback. Uh, Bennett's return is all the more important because Pete Thamel of ESPN reported JT Daniels is in the transfer portal. Quarterback depth would have been a concern if Bennett also left, but Stetson Bennett will run it back with the Georgia Bulldogs. You got to feel for JT Daniels. He really got the short end, short end of the stick there. Um, but we have one football story to cover before the end of this podcast. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to play Saturday against the Green Bay Packers despite dealing with a torn ligament and bone chip in his thumb and a shoulder injury. I have really gained a lot of respect for this guy over the last few weeks. Being a Rams fan, it's very easy to hate Jimmy Garoppolo, but I have truly gained a lot of respect for him for what he's done over the last few weeks. Quote, uh, yeah, we'll feel it out throughout the week, Garoppolo told reporters on Tuesday when asked if he's expected to play. Feeling good right now. Uh, Garoppolo also practiced on Wednesday today, which is a good sign. Definitely a good sign for the 49ers. As for what injury was bothering him more, Garoppolo told reporters it was a draw, saying, quote, uh, yes, um, I don't know the answer. They're pretty close. 
He did acknowledge that the shoulder injury, which happened in the second quarter of the team's 23-17 win over the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday, impacted his play in the second half, saying, quote, the shoulder, yeah, being a quarterback, it affects every throw. So yeah, it definitely had some impact. But if I'm out there and I'm being put in that spot, I got to, you know, still make the plays I normally make. So no excuses or anything like that. The injury is what it is. We're all dealing with stuff right now. What a champion this guy is. What a great mentality. I love his mentality. Um, the Niners, after upsetting the Cowboys, now have to face Aaron Rodgers at and the top-seeded Packers at Lambeau Field. They'll need a very strong performance from Garoppolo, who was excellent in the first half against the Cowboys, 11-14 of 14, with 133 yards, before struggling mightily in the second half, 5-11 of 11 for only 39 yards and an interception. We'll see what Jimmy Garoppolo we get. Looking forward to the game. My predictions are Packers, Rams, Bills, and Bengals. Three out of four underdogs are going to win. Francis and Gondu will knock out Cyril Gone, and I'll see you guys on the next episode of the Sean Sports Podcast, number 380 coming up. I love you guys. I'm out.